Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Scottish Plans Podcast. I'm Clint Edwards, and once again, I'm glad to have you with me for another episode of Scottish Clans. Now, I'm excited to share with you a couple of things that I have ready for you today. I've got two different subjects I want to cover, and the as you can see in the title, I want to do a series of episodes that, you know, I've, I've done a few on feuds so far. I've done the Camerons versus Macintoshes. I've done the the uh, the Guns versus the Keiths. I also did. It wasn't a really an ep- a whole episode on a feud between the McDougals and the Stuarts of Appen. It was more centered on one specific occasion, one one conflict, not a feud that spanned a hundred, two hundred, three hundred years. So it was a little bit a little bit different, but still. It was more on a conflict, and today I want to highlight an alliance, actually, and I want to do a series of episodes that deal with alliances, connections, friendships between clans. It wasn't all violence. However, often these alliances were when they were fighting, who they were going to team up on. So I don't know if we're ever fully away from violence when we're talking about Scottish history, and I don't mean that to be derogatory at all toward Scottish people now or their ancestors, who I also, as I've mentioned before, have ancestors. In fact, today, the alliance I want to talk about has to do directly with my own ancestors, the McFarlands. On my mom's side of the family tree, I've got some McFarlands back in there that had emigrated and settled out in Utah and helped. were one of the first settlers in the Weber area and helped get that area established, brought helped establish the first canal system that was in that area. And anyway, so the McFarlands, I have a personal connection to. And I want to focus on their alliance with the McGregors. You know, as I, as I study the, the histories of the individual clans, a lot of the, what I see in the popular sources don't reflect, they don't, they don't really mention an alliance and, and here's here's what you're going to get mostly from the popular sources. And, and if you want to know more about the popular sources, I've done a, a previous episode on that, um, on all about the sources of of the, the different, where, where we go to get our information about the Scottish clans. And, and then I also did, I did a whole episode just talking about the sources and maybe giving a brief introductory message about each source. But then I also did a whole other separate episode critiquing some of those sources. And and so this is the this is the main gist that you're going to find if you're a McGregor. So I'm talking to you McGregors or connections, people who have connections to that clan. I've got some uh, one one of my very good friends is he has some ancestors that were a Gregory, which when the McGregors were outlawed, that's one of the names that they took as their their next name was Gregory. And I think a lot of those ended up in the Aberdeen area and ended up being noted scholars. Anyway, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Yeah, they they're they're known for being ruffians and bandits in one setting, and you just remove them out of that setting, and they excel in an academic atmosphere. That's I think that's really interesting. Anyway, so if you have a connection to the McGregor clan, you're going to look it up on in the popular sources, the ones you'll just get first out of a Google search, and what those sources are going to focus on is, well, the McGregors were outlawed and. Um, and you can have their name anymore, and they are bandits, and they are called Children of the Mist, which is which is 
exciting, and that's why they chose to focus on those specific parts of McGregor history. But it's it's there's 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 more richness if you dig into it, and also you see a friendship develop with the McFarlane clan. And I don't know if it was a completely healthy friendship because the most the connection I see between the two clans are raiding other people together. <laughs> so common enemies, and we'll get more into detail on that. But but you don't see that alliance there. Now I'll tell you what sources I'm digging into a little bit more, and and there, these. These sources you can find. These are not... I didn't have some top-secret security clearance to get into these... What I'm, and I'm sharing with you right here. I've got them written down. I'm just going to scroll up on my sources here. Okay. The, uh, the first uh, source that I want to mention that I got into for the McFarlands is The History of Clan McFarland by James McFarland, which was published in 1922. And I've got a PDF form, and I can't remember exactly where I found that, but if I can figure out a way to post these on my Facebook page, I will do it. And if I can find links for them, I will include them in the show notes. But just know that if you want to do a search for it, History of Clan McFarland by James McFarland, 1922, I'm sure you'll be able to, to find that without too much trouble. The other source that I want to go to, and once again, I obtained this from an open source. I, I have received, I mentioned that I had some some scholars help me out with my master's thesis, and they shared some stuff with me, and so, and, it, and I don't know if, I don't, I don't know how that goes with just sharing that with the whole world. So the sources that I'm going to give you access to, give you links to, these are sources that I found open source that anybody, if they know how to use Google, they can they can find these things. So the other source, and this is for the McGregors, is uh, the the PhD, the doctoral thesis by Martin McGregor, whom a professor whom I mentioned before. And this is this is dated 1989. And so, wouldn't it be nice if every clan had a scholar to research and do their own clan's history and and write a whole the, the kind of depth that you'd get in a PhD thesis that you get with Martin McGregor's here for the, for the McGregor's. So anyway, those are my two sources that I'm using to dig farther into this. And both, so the, the, the McGregor source, Martin McGregor does mention connections with the McFarlands, and then in return, this source on the McFarlands, they do mention this connection with the McGregor's. And you do see this alliance. And, I've, and I'd seen it alluded to in the popular sources, but I, you don't really, you know, hey... One of their allies are the McGregors, and that's about as deep as they go into it. So today's this part of the episode, I meant I mean to flesh this out a little bit and give you a little bit more depth for both sides of the both both of these clans. Now, at the end of this episode, I want to get into something that will probably be more appealing to a broader number of people than just people who are interested in the McFarlands and the McGregors. And I don't know, even if you don't have a personal connection to the McFarlands and McGregors, I think that this this information is going to be interesting to you. Maybe also if you have a, a connection to the Colhouns. And I've heard that name pronounced a couple different ways. So please be patient with me if I'm not hitting it the way you think it ought to be pronounced. So the uh, the other thing I want to get to, just a little preview of later in the episode, will be, I mentioned it in the last episode, this website that I found the the u the the web a- address not I was gonna say URL I don't is there a difference between URL and web address I'm not a real techie guy, in fact I've had to learn a lot of things just to do this podcast, but it was the web address is named as in past tense of name n a m e d named dot dot org now one of my one of my listeners from the previous episode did and he's he's actually been a pretty uh, pretty faithful 
listener and he's he's commented on Facebook and he's he's given me some some great feedback. But he also pointed out that this is not a secure website. Now I have had no problems on my end. I do have a VPN, but it has not anyway, I haven't haven't had any problems with this website, but it's a, just a project. It's a group of people in the UK who wanted to work on this project of where do UK surnames occur the most today? Named.publicprofiler.org. I had it in the show notes last episode. I will also include it in this episode. And it has really interesting implications for the Scottish clans, but I'll get into more detail, detail on that later. Let me let me get into this this deal on the McGregors and the McFarlands. These two are a couple of colorful, colorful clans. Holy cow! Let me give you a little background on these two clans. Just I'm not I don't mean here to give you an exhaustive, detailed clan history on either clan. You can get a basic starting point just by using the public's the the popular sources on this, a Wikipedia article or any of the websites to offer a basic, basic Scottish clan history. Uh, Scott clans, electricscotland.com actually has a, a little bit more extensive information and, and links to other resources. So that's, there's, there's a lot of things you can do to get a deep history on these. So I'm, I'm just going to touch on the very basic highlights. All right. First, the McFarlands. The McFarlands are descended from the Earls of Lennox. The Lennox is the district around Loch Lomond, and and down it's a lot of what is Dumbartonshire today. So, so the uh, their the territory of the McFarlands, the part of this earldom of Lennox that they inherited from their when it started off, it was a younger brother who did not inher- inherit the earldom, but he got lands, and these lands were confirmed in charter. In fact, the McFarlands have the distinction along with the Robertsons, of being the two earliest clans to hold their territory by royal charter. So it starts out with the Earl, the Earl of Lennox giving the, his brother this land, and then it's confirmed by royal charter not that long, long afterwards. And so once again, that was the McFarlands and the Robertsons up in the Rannoch area in the, in the Central Highlands. So they're the McFarland territory that... And keep in mind, at this early in the stage, they're not McFarlands. They're just the younger brother of the Earl of Lennox. They had their territory that they get is the northwestern it the northwestern shore of Loch Lomond and the adjacent mountains. You have the you have some very rugged mountainous country and so in fact they call them the uh did they call them the Erker Alps? Anyway, Erker is a town that's in this territory. It's not Erker itself is not on the shore of Loch Lomond. After during the with the wars with the Covenanters, the the Covenanters, the civil war within the UK, or the War of the Three Kingdoms, you have Covenanter forces came and burned the McFarland Castle down, and they reestablished it after that at Erecker, at the at the very tip of Loch Long. So that that territory around the northwestern shore of Loch Lomond and into the mountains there, that was the McFarland territory. And, and so that's where they came to be established. Just They were an offshoot of that. They've got a lot more history. You can, you can get more into detail. I don't mean to do that in this episode. The McGregors. Let's talk about the McGregors for a second because they have an interesting situation when it comes to origins. So the McGregor motto in Gaelic, and I'm going to do my best here, is Sriol Mogram, which means royal is my race or my blood. Because they claim descent from Alpin, the father of Kenneth McAlpin, 
who would have been their ancestor's brother, who was the first king of both the Scots and the Picts back in 843, I think that was. Now, if you go back to my episode, I think it was two episodes again, it'd be episode 15 on, I think it was episode 15, I'm not looking at a list of my episodes right now, I'm looking at my notes for this, that I did a whole episode on the origins of clans and the clans that we recognize today and, and when they came about. And it's very exceptional to find a Scottish clan that is recognizable today that is solidly traced back to the 800s. Now, in Ireland, that's not uncommon. And that was one of the things I discussed in that episode. And I went a lot more detail, so if you want more information, go back to that episode. But there's the, the connection between the McGregors and this family of Alpin is legendary at best. And... Now, before I get all the McGregors sending me hate mail and bashing me on the social medias, let me just tell you why I say that. I'm actually getting that from Martin McGre- Professor Martin McGregor's thesis there that I mentioned earlier for sources. He is doubtful and sees very little reason to have confidence in this connection, an, an unbroken connection and a solid easily to recognize connection with the house of, of Alpin. Rather, he says the McGregor's the, the, the Gregor that gives them their name is probably a clerical man or a, a clergyman from not a clerical man, a, a, a clergy is a common Gregor became a common clergy name. And he goes he goes into more detail on how that comes about in his thesis, and I'll let you go there for that. But he, he says that the ancestor, this Gregor ancestor of the McGregors that they take their name from, probably lived in the late 1200s, early 1300s, which is roughly the same period of time that the McFarlands are getting becoming established as a clan themselves. So these two clans are very similar in age and how far back they can solidly go in the sources. Actually, the, the, the McFarlane ancestry and back into the earldom of Lennox and stuff is much more documented and established. When Martin McGregor says they probably, he, that's the word he uses, um, they, or, or likely or probably, to something to that effect, that they go back probably, this Gregor person was likely late 1200s, early 1300s. Okay, and their, their territory was actually farther north than the McFarlane's. Glenn Stray is is a branch of, you have, so you have Glenorchy and Glenstray, and they both come out of the mountains at the same spot, and it's on Loch Awe, right where the Campbells of Glenorchy built a castle called Kilkern Castle, and they used that to persecute the launch raids against the McGregors from there. That's another part of history, and that'd be well worth another episode. But that's not really related to what we're going to go into because it doesn't relate to the, this alliance with the McFarlands. Because it, and, and McGregor, Professor McGregor, documents the spread of the McGregor clan in connection with the Campbell clan. He, goes, he, he really does a good job of, of relating that as they spread into different parts of Scotland, specifically as they spread south and east of Glenstray, their original homeland. So I, and if you don't have a map in front of you, I, I apologize. And I had some good, good friends of mine who listened to this podcast and they said you really need to do videos and you really need to use a map when you tell this because a lot of this just goes right over my head and I'm sorry if that's what's happening to you right now. You're driving, you can't afford to look at a map right now. But anyway, the 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 northeastern tip of, of Loch Awe is where Glen Stray and Glen Orkey come together. And that's where they and this is so this is farther north than Loch Lomond. 
So that's where the McGregors come from. And they eventually get established down as a spread. Like I mentioned earlier, they spread down and establish themselves on the northeastern shore of Loch Lomond. So they're just right across the loch from the, from the McFarlands. And I'm going to talk to you about their teaming up for certain occasions. And usually it was to beat up on a particular clan, the Calhouns or the Cahoons. I've heard it pronounced both ways, and both of them were by Scotsmen, so I don't really know where to go with this as far as the pronunciation of that clan. All right, so what do we find in McGregor's thesis, Professor McGregor's thesis here? In the 1560s, he relates, he, he quotes a source, at that, and it, the source is written in Scots, and, and I, don't, I don't even want to try to do justice to that. But it mentions that the uh, the McGregors, as they're being persecuted by the Campbells, by government forces in the 1560s, their main place of refuge was in the Lennox, which would have been with the McFarlands, and who took part, it says, and, and once again, this is in the Scots language, and I really don't feel comfortable. I feel more comfortable with Gaelic, even though I don't speak it, than I do with giving you a an accurate representation of how this is supposed to sound in Scots. So, it's but it just says that the the McGregors, they who they take refuge in this Lennox country with the McFarlands, who they participated with in operations on their on their raids. Basically, that's where it's going. So that is an interesting. That's that's out of McGregor's thesis. He's quoting an earlier source on that. Also in 1565. The McFarlands had to be specifically commanded not to help the McGregors and were threatened with expulsion if they didn't leave the company of the McGregors. So just from those two sources right there, this is the 1560s, you're seeing that these two clans had established a very tight relationship where they are, I mean, when we say thick as thieves, literally thick as thieves, because that's exactly what they're doing, usually going on cattle raids. Okay, so that's what I've got from McGregor's thesis. From the McFarlane, from the history of Clan McFarlane by James McFarlane, I have a few points here. The, in July 1592, so we're going later in time than Martin, Mc, Professor McGregor's thesis went with it. 1592, the McGregor's joined the McFarlane's in the latter's raid on the lands of Luss. And in this raid, the McFarlane's killed the Calhoun chief. So, you see, the McFarlands had this raid that they were the ones, it seems they're the ones spearheading it, their names on it. And the McGregors join them for it. And not only do they kill the Calhoun chief, but they kill some other members of the clan. They are accused of raping the chief's, of the Calhoun's daughter, Jean. And, and I... And at first I was like, well, was that just later propaganda because the Calhouns want to make these guys out to be the boogeyman? And in a, count, in a Privy Council record from, from this that's relating to this incident, the, that, that record actually mentions this, this event happening, with, including the rape of, of Jean Cal, uh, Calhoun. So uh, it, it might not be, be just propaganda. There might have been some pretty nefarious stuff going on there. And, and then so, so just like the McGregors joined the McFarlands for this raid, by the way, it just, it, they, we can get more specific. They didn't just go into less. The Calhoun chief took refuge in his castle at Banachra. I think that's how you pronounce it. Once again, have patience with me. He goes, 
he takes refuge in this castle, and this is kind of an interesting story. They're they're going. He's going into the castle, and he's going up some stairs, and the guy that he's got with them, it says that the McFarlands had got to him, and I don't. And it really doesn't describe how they got to him, but he turns on his chief, and it, I don't know if this is a servant. It just said he had the same last name, so he's also a Calhoun, or if it was a close relative of the chief, maybe even somebody like a brother who would take over if the chief was dead. Anyway, he stalls the chief in front of a window long enough for one of the McFarlands to get an arrow through it and hit the chief and kill him. So that's that's kind of an interesting, if gruesome, part of this story. And also, in addition to killing people and raping and pillaging and plundering, they make off with a bunch of livestock, which is kind of what they did. So just like the McGregors had teamed up with the McFarlands for this event... A later, more well-known event happens where the McFarlands join up with the McGregors for something that's got the McGregor name on it. And I'm talking about the Battle of Glen Fruin. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize this, but there is a healthy contingent of McFarlands. And I don't mean healthy like how good their health was. I mean healthy like there is quite a few of them enough to make mention of. They, the McFarlands were right in there with their friends, the McGregors, the Battle of Glen Fruin. Now, let me just give you a brief overview of the Battle of Glen Fruin. The, it, it, they say, and this, and this is just kind of the legend, how it pops up. This is not well documented. This is just kind of what's been passed down to us. There were two McGregors who were in Calhoun territory, passing through. They needed a stop for the night. They'd ask, they'd come up, and they'd ask for some for hospitality and were denied. Now, for any of you who know the Highland history, this hospitality concept is sacred. It, it, with we some pretty cool stories about hospitality being given to even bitter, bitter enemies because this concept of hospitality was such a big deal. So for the McGregors to be turned out and turned away when they sought hospitality and stayed the night was was this gross insult. Now, they these two McGregors, they don't lay waste and burn everything down that they can. What they end up doing is they find a sheep and an outbuilding. They slaughter the sheep. They cook it and eat it. But they're caught. And they're taken before the Calhoun chief. And the the Calhoun chief has them executed for a sheep. Now, once again, I'm acknowledging there might be way more to this story, but this is how much passed down to us. Well, the, the McGregors hear about this. Now, if you're the chief, you cannot let this go unpunished. So you design a raid. And apparently, one of the things you do is you call to your buddies, the McFarlands, and you say, hey, I'm going on an expedition. You want to join? The McFarlands, always ready for a good fight, of course, they say, yeah, we're game. Count us in. So they start making their way toward Colhoun territory. Now, the chief of the Colhouns hears about this, and starts rallying troops. And, and one, one thing that we learned is, is among these troops were some Buchanans and Grams. The Gra- they, these would be the Grams of Menteith. All right, so these, these people get together, and they actually gather a number twice as many as the McGregor force, the McGregor-led force here. And I don't know if there's anybody else with the McGregors besides the McFarlands. I just know that the McFarlands were there. So... Twice as many the Calhouns have. And they meet in Glen Fruin. And they, the, as, they, as, they as these two bat, uh, forces come within sight of each other, the McGregors are kind of getting discouraged 
at seeing twice their number show up. And, and to add to this, the Colhouns have cavalry, and the McGregors don't. However, one thing that gives heart to the McGregors is they have um, in their company a seer who has in vision death shrouds wrapped on their enemies. And when he shares his vision with the rest of his forces, they take heart. Now, guys, I don't know. Was it really a seer? And did he really have a vision? I don't know, but it comes true. So, this, uh, this vision that, that may or may not have, have existed, that's the legend that comes to us. And the McGregors and the McFarlands who are with them rally, their spirits revive, and they actually manage to neutralize the cavalry by getting them into boggy ground. And the horses, and if I don't know if any of you have ridden horses, I've ridden horses in boggy ground. They don't do well. And, and, and it turns a rider basically in a, in a, in a violent conflict to turn the rider into a sitting duck. Yeah, he's got a little elevation, but he is, he is stuck there. And so, and it's actually not a very fun, for, even if you're just out checking cows to get into some boggy ground, I could tell you some stories about that. I ain't going to. I'm just going to, rather, I am not going to. I'm just going to tell you the story. So that neutralizes the cavalry. And, and for whatever other tactics, I believe that the, the McGregors had actually split their forces. They had one assault. And this is common maneuver stuff right here. You have a support by fire element, and you have an assault element that usually comes up from the flank. And that's exactly what the McGregors did. They had one main force that engaged front on, but they had another. They split their forces. This other group comes and hits from the side. I picture an L-shaped attack here. And the Calhouns just do not come out of this well. They get, they get slaughtered. And in fact, it, it goes so poorly for them. And the McGregors have been, and keep in mind, the McGregors of, at this time in history are on poor terms with Campbells, generally speaking. And the Campbells are very, very powerful. King James, this, this battle happens in 1603. King James VI, the first of England, he hears about this. And he just says, you know what, McGregor's, that's enough. You're done. You're done, McGregor's. You cannot be even McGregor's anymore. I'm taking all your lands. You can't even have that last name. You're done. And anyway, this goes into the famous. And most people who are familiar with McGregor history are familiar with this part. Even if you weren't familiar with the details of the Battle of Glen Fruin. So, so what happens here is one of the other... Um, <coughs> pardon me, one of the other events of this battle that, that you might find as you study this is there's two clerical students who are, who are studying at a university nearby. They come out to see the battle, and they're watching this, and they get, they get slaughtered, and they're just innocent bystanders looking on. And now there's two conflicting reports about how this happens. The McGregor's own history passes down the that this that this person who did this was his name was Dougald Carvor or or great mouse colored Dougal. <laughs> so and and in that in the chief of the McGregors had put him in charge says, Okay, watch these two over here, keep an eye on them. And he ends up killing them. For what reason I have no idea. And then when he comes back after the battle, the McGregor chief's like, so where's those two students? He's he pulls his he shows him his bloody knife and he says you may ask this, and God save me. And, and so that's one version of the story. In the history of the clan McFarlane, they actually tell it differently. They say that there was a, 
a person whose name was maybe, it said possibly either Duncan or Donald Lean, like the like Mac Lean, but just the lean part. Anyway, that he he was the one who killed these two clerical students, and then him and his buddy, who may have been involved with them, they went and hid out as outlaws in a, the nether regions of McFarland territory. And they end up killing a mother and her daughter of the clan McFarland, for which the McFarlands hunt them down and kill them. So there's two two different conflicting stories on these two clerical students that die as they're watching this battle. So I don't know which one's true. It just seems like we know that there's two clerical students who are killed for no good reason. I don't know. Maybe there was a good reason. I don't know. We just don't have a lot of detail on it in as much as there is good reason for ever killing anybody. So there's the story of the Battle of Glenfruin. We have this solid connection, this alliance between the McFarland and the McGregors who are, who are just right in it. Now, there's a few other things that I want to mention here about this history of the McFarlands that we don't, we don't often see in popular sources. One, uh, one is, uh, throughout this reading this history of Clan McFarland by James McFarland, I see a possible, another possible alliance with the McDougals. Now, in this attack on Banakra that I mentioned earlier where the McGregors joined the McFarland and the, uh, the Colquhoun chief was, was killed, there, there was a the specific name that comes up in this Privy Council record uh, associated with the McFarlands is a man amongst the McFarlands. doesn't seem to be their chief, but maybe closely tied to the chief. His name is Dougald McCool McFarlane. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with the McDougals? I get this guy's name is Dougal, but that's his first name. Well, okay, let me tell you, let me just do a little brief Gaelic lesson here. And it's a guy who doesn't speak fluent Gaelic giving you a Gallic lesson, so take this for what it's worth. But Dougal, and for those of you who do speak fluent Gallic listening to this, feel free to correct my, kindly correct my story by making comments on this. I'll post this episode on my Scotch Clans Facebook page, and if you want to make comments there, please, please help me out. But Dougald, or Dougal, when you use this in the genitive form, so the genitive case shows possession. And so when you say Mac, that's son of a person, you're showing possession, right? So what happens is you drop an H next to the initial constant of the this whoever you're the son of. So if you're Mac Dougal, there's a D that goes next to the, or there's an H rather, there's an H that goes next to the D and it changes the sound of the D to, it's more like a guttural g, or sometimes it turns into almost more like a y sound, like a y sound. And so, really, you don't even pronounce. If so, if you're Mac Dougal, it would sound more like MacOogle. But you also drop a h by that g, so it takes the g out and it just makes it an h sound. So really, what you come out with is something that sounds a lot like McCool. So this guy's name is Dougal McCool McFarlane. Okay, so you got one guy's name that shows maybe some possible connection to the McDougals. Yes, but if you also connect this to my episode 8, which was the Appen Stewarts against basically the rest of that part of Argyle, you see that this is a, a conflict against the McDougal, the McDougals against the Stewarts who have inherited this area called Lorne. This is in the Western Highlands. And it, this territory of Lorne used to be McDougal territory. Now, in this attack on the Stuarts of Appin, who have now taken over the lordship of Lorne here, they have McFarlands that they use for, to help them in this attack. 
Now, some people think that there might be the, the Campbells who are orchestrating it, and that's and it's they who had influence over the McFarlands and possibly got them to go up there. But so you, but one way or the other, you have the McFarlands, a force of McFarlands helping the McDougals out against the Stuarts of Appen. And now here, also, and, and this is later in time than that, but you have this Dougal McCool McFarlane. So you got this this name connection there, but in connection with previous military alliances. So I, I suspect a stronger connection between the McDougals and the McFarlands throughout this. But that's about all I have to go on right now. So if I find more out about that, I'll let you know. Another thing about the McFarlands I want to let you know is the... Something that I found that was interesting with uh, an article I read by Michael Newton. I've mentioned his book before, Warriors of the Word, and I even included that in the show notes one one episode. But I mentioned it in several episodes. I read an article written by him, and by the way, you can he has on academia.edu, he has a page on there, and he has a ton of stuff that you can look at, and it's all very well scholarly done articles on the highlands and Gallic culture. There's so much there, and it's, he's, he, I've really enjoyed reading his stuff. Maybe someday I can get him as a guest on this show. Anyway, in this article called Border Disputes, Gallic Cultural Identity and Interaction in the Lennox and Menteith. And basically it's about how strong Gallic culture and language are on this border area. You know, we think, well, they're right up against the lowlands and maybe it wasn't that strong there. It kind of starts to dissipate in favor of lowland culture. He actually makes a pretty strong case that that not only was the Gallic culture very strong in the Menteith and, and Loch Lomond area, but that these people were, as Gales, during the lordship of the Isles, they were oriented north and northwest. And, and you could get a, you could get a, a sense that if, if you hadn't read this article and some of the great things that Michael Newton points out here, from all this history, you'd think that the McFarlands are usually oriented, oriented south. And, it, and all the, po- the popular sources on the McFarlands will tell you, yeah, they, because they were so close to the lowlands, that was where most of their raids were, were directed, was they could just slip out of the highlands, hit the lowlands, go back in. And with the story against the Calhouns, or the Cahoons, that that would actually support that view. But he points out also that in in the McFarland's pipe tune or the Pibroch, which is called Hogelnumbo Hedshin, which is a song about cattle wrestling or cattle lifting, to lift the cattle's we shall go, is is what it says. Anyway, they talk about using Glen Crow to go out through on their raids. Well, Glen Crow is to the northwest of McFarland territory. If they're using that to go on raids, they're actually pushing north, and which would land them in Campbell territory, and so it might possibly have been Campbell cattle that they're wrestling or lifting back to their own territory. And then it also talks about them defending cattle raids against people farther north. <coughs> so... There's, there's a little bit of a, a more full picture of the life of the McFarlands. Yes, they did do raids down into the adjacent lowlands immediately to the south, but they were also focused north and oriented that way. Anyway, I recommend that article to you. You should go. Maybe I'll put a, put a link to that also in the, in the show notes. So, it wasn't just the McGregors that feuded with the Calhouns. The McFarlands did it too. And, um, and there was a very tight connection with these two clans. All right. 
I, I, I think that's all that I have for the McFarlane-McGregor alliance. So I hope that you've enjoyed that. Now, one more thing I want to share with you before I'm done with this episode is something I found that was really interesting. I started, I just mentioned it last episode, and I want to get into a little bit more detail again today. So this is named.publicprofiler.org. I put a show note, I put a link to it in the show notes last episode. I'll do it again this episode. But this is a project that is conducted by a group of people in the UK about where do certain surnames, UK surnames, occur the most frequently. This was really interesting. So if you, so if you go on that website and you type in a, a surname that is a, a British surname, if you type in a Swiss surname, the, uh, the results will not be, you won't, you won't find anything really. But if you type in a British surname, something that's found in the UK and originates in the UK, the, this, it'll have, so you type in the surname in one circle, it's got three circles spread out. On the left, you type the surname in, in the middle circle, it has a map of the UK, and it will show you, it has a color code for how frequently that surname appears in a certain area. And so the darker the color of red on the map, the more frequently that surname appears in that area. And you usually see concentric circles getting ever so lighter as it goes out from that hot spot of where that name occurs. Now, this is today. This is modern occurrence of the given surname. Well, I thought, well, how would this apply to a study of the Scottish clans? I found this really interesting. So I just started typing in all of these Scottish clans names that I have on my head. And I even, you know, just had to use a Scottish clan map that you can find in, find in a, any Google image search and to flesh out my my remembrance of the, the list of different clans. And I found something that was kind of interesting. What I found was that by f- over and above the most common phenomena with, with these Scottish names in relation to where the tr- traditional territory was, these names today are actually usually, for by far the, m- the majority of the names that I entered in, and I'm not claiming I did all of them, if you have a curiosity about this, go ahead and find that, find that link, type that in, go to that website, and try your own name that you're thinking about in there. But I found that the majority of Scottish clan names are still occurring somewhere in the vicinity of the traditional territory. So I've been talking about McFarlands a lot. Let me give them as an example. No, the hot spot isn't right over the northwestern shore of Loch Lomond. But it's in Glasgow, which you would expect, right? If they have they have territory by Loch Lomond, they're a they're a clan that comes from that Lennox area, and then the Industrial Revolution happens, and all of the jobs are to be found down in these down in these cities. Well, and so you have people migrating to these cities, but that's the city that's closest to that traditional territory. That kind of concept is what I found for the majority of the Scottish clan names that I entered in. Now, with some exceptions, so I'm not going to go over all of the clan names where they're at. That'd be a really long episode and probably be boring for most people. So I'm just going to give you the exceptions. So this is interesting. The McNabb clan, their territory originally is right smack dab in central highlands, right near Loch Tay, at the western end of it, by at the mouth, at the head of, of Glen Dochert. And today, the, the surname is actually, the hotspot for that surname is found in the Outer Hebrides. So, yeah, it's still in Scotland, but it's 
not at, at all in the same part of Scotland that the McNabs had their original territory. The McLeans, the hot spot was not in Mull, where you would expect it. They had their, their castle of Duart on the Isle of Mull. It was actually much, their hot spot was farther north, northern Skye, or on the mainland in the Loch Marie vicinity and in the Outer Hebrides. So seems like they've shifted farther north, and I don't know of any urban centers that would have drawn them into jobs that far, so there's something else drawing them that way. The McLarens, also a, they're from Balquitter, and you find, rather than in the southern or central highlands, you find them up in the Inverness area. That's where the hot spot for that name was. Brody. Yeah, you have you had some indication that, that name still occurs around the forests and Elgin up in the the northern on the southern shore of of the Murray Firth, but by the the hot spot was actually down near the Solway Firth in the very southwest of Scotland, completely opposite part of the country. That was interesting. The Montgomerys, uh, the Montgomerys, the Cunninghams, the Agnews. This is kind of interesting. The hot spot's not in Scotland at all. It's in Northern Ireland which uh, means that they were heavily involved in that Ulster plantation where and by far the majority of the clan, that people with those surnames are found in Northern Ireland today. So I don't, and I don't know fully what to make, what historical conclusions to draw from this. So I'm not going to get too, I'm just going to say, what could it mean? And, and maybe you have some thoughts on what could it mean? Maybe you know some parts of this history that I'm not as well acquainted with, and you could add that to the conversation. Once again, I'll, I'll post this on Facebook and you can make some comments. This this episode will be have a link to it posted on the Facebook page, the Scottish Clans Facebook page, and you can make comments and, and help me out there. The uh, I found that some of this has to do with the spelling of the name. So let me give you an example, that MacDowell. Now, remember the previous conversation we had. MacDowell is just another form of MacDougall, and you just make that G soft or just glide right over it, and instead of MacDougall, you got MacDowell. And... How you spell McDowell matters. If you spell McDowell M-A-C-D-O-W-A-L-L, the hotspot for the name is in Harris in the Outer Hebrides. Yet, if you, which that would indicate more probably a stem off of the the Highland McDougals rather than the McDowells from the very southwest of Scotland. Because that, that name is more commonly spelled today, M-C-D-O-W-E-L-L, and that hotspot is in Northern Ireland. So yes, how you spell the name will matter in this in the search if you do go to this website and try this out. Um, I have a really, really good friend of mine over in uh, another place in southeast Idaho, and his last name is McDowell. He spells it that, that second way that's found more in Northern Ireland. In fact, I actually had this conversation with him. I believe that his folks actually came from Northern Ireland. He's not really sure where in Scotland they come from, but this might be something that's interesting to him. I don't think I've asked him about this, though. So, something to do. Uh, the, here's something else. Another conclusion or something that I've, interesting that I've seen here is that some of these clans that have territory all over Scotland, they're very powerful clans. And that, well, these, when you type the surname in and find out where the most people with the surname live, you don't, you don't find an even distribution over all their territories. Now, actually, with the Campbells, you do. The Campbells turn out to be not just big in territory. They were big in numbers. And you find, if you type in the Campbell name there, you'll find them all over Scotland in, in numbers. But if you go over, like um, the other two clans I'm thinking of, are the Douglas clan and the Sinclair clan. The Douglases and the Sinclairs had territory all over Scotland. But when you type where is the surname found today, 
the surname is not found all over Scotland. And this is, I, I wonder if this tells us something. So we, you have the the Douglas, if you type in the name Douglas in this this website, the hotspot for this name is actually in the borders, which is interesting because during my thesis, as I'm studying border clans, I, I was looking at a, a primary source on the English side of the border, and they are just, it was a, uh, almost like an annal, the, a year-by-year list of the events that were happening. And they would say, well, in this year, a large force of, and then they would mention a surname that had come across the border and raided into England and carried off cattle, and it would list exactly how much of each livestock was carried off, cows, sheep, everything. And you see the Douglas name. So the Douglas family were among the border reavers, and you do see them making inroads down into the the the, the English and doing doing things that border reavers do basically. The Sinclairs, they have territory all you know. The Roslyn Castle is in the central Scotland area, <clears throat> but as a clan, they seem to be a Caithness clan. Where the if you type in that surname, the Sinclair, the hotspot shows up in Caithness in the very far north of Scotland. And not so much in other spots. So that's really interesting to, you know, where were these people actually located as a clan? Yes, their chief held territory all over, but where where was the clan? And so and and I don't know that this conclusively proves that that the Douglas as a clan were mostly a border clan, and that the Sinclairs as a clan were mostly Caithness people. But it kind of leads to that. So probably probably deserves a little bit more research, but. I do think it's the implications of what this website does. It's kind of interesting in the study of Scottish clans. One more other exceptional case I want to mention that's kind of similar to the Douglas and Sinclairs are the Keiths. So going back to the the Gun-Keith feud, that took place in Caithness, where the guns, if you type the name gun in, they actually do, yes, their hotspot is in Caithness, right where you'd think it would be. But if you type in the name Keith... The interesting thing that you'll find there is that the hot spot for that clan is up and down the east coast of Scotland, north and south, spread out along that coast, north and south of, of Aberdeen. So that's kind of interesting that you don't have a, a significant hot spot of the Keith surname in Caithness. And and I'm not saying that there wasn't an actual clan Caithness that was part of that Keith, er, sorry, let me go back, an actual clan Keith that were in Caithness in numbers. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying today, if you most of that surname is found along the east coast of Scotland, north and south of Aberdeen. I just find that interesting, uh, as opposed to what you would you would uh, expect to find if you would study that. And most of the colorful history and their feuds with the guns is a Caithness story, but that's not where you find most of those surnames today. Now, so there is. There are several of those surnames that were not where you'd expected them to find, but the majority of clan surnames were somewhere in the vicinity of what you'd expect them to find. So I encourage you to go try your own names out there. I think you'll be I think it'll be exciting for you. I mean, and it's not just for Scottish clans. It's it's a whole UK thing. I typed Edwards's in. Um, that's a Welsh surname. You'll find that I found that the hotspot was indeed in Wales. It wasn't where my ancestors came from in Wales, but. That's, I mean, it's, you know, people in England actually do have the, the surname Edwards, and they're not, don't have any Welsh connections necessarily, yet that surname was by far more common. It was a Welsh surname. It, the linguistically, it's actually an Anglo-Saxon name, Edward, and then you just tack an S on the end. I won't go into detail on that naming 
convention, but I don't know. I just thought, well, hopefully the, some of these things are interesting to you. I hope you enjoyed learning about the McFarlands, the McGregors, the, Al, the alliance they had between the two of them, and also this website. Once again, I'll post the website in the a link to it in the show notes. If you have contributions to make to this discussion, which I hope you do, and I hope you get involved, and I've had some great people. Actually, I had somebody recently make a comment on the Facebook page. Hey, weren't the weren't were some were all of these surnames that we're talking about were they really clans or were some of them just aristocratic families that looked more like English aristocratic families? They were baronial families, I think was the the word, and. And so he was just smack dab where I was for, I was just, and I gave, I gave a response to him to go check that episode out. Is your clan really a clan? And I referred him back to that, to, to listen to that. But anyway, so I, I really appreciate you guys engaging on Facebook and making these comments. Now, one thing, mistake I realized that I made on the Facebook is I should have made it a group. That would have facilitated conversation a lot better. Instead, I made it a page, lessons learned, <clears throat> The only way I think to fix that is to convert the whole thing. Like, you can't convert it into a group. You have to make a new group and transfer everything over. And I don't know if I'm ready to get that deep into this. So, once again, instead of having a group where you can just jump in and start a new conversation or or whatever, you can do it by making comments as I post links to these or any other link there. I'll post links to these uh, podcast episodes but I also try to include some every once in a while. I'll put in a source that I've been using there. So I, uh, and, and that might be where I'll be able to include a PDF link to this history of Clan McFarlane, as well as see if I can hook you up with a link to this, to Professor McGregor's thesis here that I re- cited earlier. Uh, I hope, once again, the, the Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash clans of Scotland. And I look forward to your interaction with me. I hope you have a great day. I hope you've enjoyed this. And I look forward to having you with me next time. So goodbye for now. <laughs>